Good morning, Village Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village, and I'm glad to be with you this morning as we talk about the hairs, prayers of Hannah. The hairs of Hannah. She probably had a lot of hair too. The prayers of Hannah. Um, last week we began this series, the prayers of the Bible, and as we did, we uh, we looked at the actually very first place in the Bible that prayers mentioned, and that's in uh, Genesis chapter four, where it says at that time people began to call out on the name of the Lord. And if you weren't with us, we talked about this idea of the law of first mention. That in the Bible, when something's mentioned for the first time, it is the clearest and the simplest explanation of that concept in the Bible. And last week, as we saw in Genesis chapter 4, the law of first mention and prayer, we see that the simplest and the clearest idea about prayer is that prayer is about calling on God for his help. It's about calling on God for his help. And last week, we saw Moses calling on God for his help with God's family, the children of Israel. And this week we see Hannah calling on God for his help with her family. And so this morning my hope and my prayer for us has been that as we look at the prayers of Hannah and we consider our families, that we would call out to God for the sake of our families together this morning. You may be sitting with your spouse, that in this moment, just even in the quiet, you're calling out to God for the sake of your family. For some of you, you are calling out to God for the sake of your future family. You hope to have a family one day. You hope to be married. You hope to have children that even in this moment, you'd call out to God for the sake of your future family. And that all of us together, collectively, would call out to God for the sake of others in this church family that need our prayers. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our time together this morning. Like any prayer, uh, Hannah's prayer needs a little context. Every prayer has context surrounding it, and Hannah's prayer is no different than that. And so if you know the story of Hannah, you know these things. If you don't know the story of Hannah, let me briefly give you a little context since we'd only read her prayers, not her entire story. Hannah is one of two wives married to a man uh, in Israel. And that might strike you as, wait a minute, is that polygamy or polygyny? And I would say, yes, it is. The Bible doesn't condone this, but the Bible talks about it. It addresses it. This is what's happening in this passage. Hannah is one of two wives in a marriage. She's likely the first wife, but she has no children. And she's a wife who has no children in a cultural context where having children is really... Um, you know, directly related to this idea of God's blessing. And so they saw women who had many children as very blessed by God and women who had no children as actually cursed by God in some way. And so very likely the reason that her husband has two wives is that Hannah has not been able to produce children to help uh, care for the needs of their, uh, their estate and to pass on the family name, to inherit the real estate. And so now there's a second wife and she does have kids. That's the situation that Hannah's in. The good news for Hannah although this might be confusing for her because her family is actually, in the large part, is, is a godly family. They go up to worship often. They follow the law of Moses. Uh, the, the, the hard thing is that, the good thing rather, is that Hannah is married to a man who loves her. Um, her husband's giving her double portions and he's taking care of her and he's finding ways to honor her. So the good news is that in this situation, Hannah has a husband that truly loves her. The hard news is that for whatever reason, and we don't know the reason from this passage, is that the Lord has chosen to close her womb. She has no children. She has no ability in this moment to bear children. That's the hard news. The harder news for Hannah is that she also has a rival. She has a second wife who's used this opportunity to attack her, 
to bring accusations against her, to ridicule her, to deride her and degrade her. And, and, and the worst news at the end of it is that, well, this has caused Hannah to enter into kind of a time of depression. Hannah has become depressed, and year after year this has been the case, and it's just really driven her to a, a really desperate place, place and really kind of a, a place of, of depression. With all that to be said, um, Hannah does have a husband, as I said, who, who loves her. Um, and is trying to understand, but he doesn't fully get it. He's telling her, listen, aren't I, isn't our relationship worth, worth 10 sons? And in the back of her mind, Hannah's answer is, no. No, actually, I want a son of my own. And so Hannah's husband loves her, but he doesn't completely get it. And all of this brought Hannah to a place where she was desperate. And so one of these years, as they go up to worship at the tabernacle at Shiloh, she's pouring her heart out to God about these things. And I believe Hannah has two prayers, a prayer of pain and a prayer of praise. And right now she is pouring out her heart to God in this prayer of pain. And I just want to pause and say, um, maybe you have come to church on a given Sunday and you've been in a painful place and you've been pouring out your heart to God in prayers of pain like Hannah. Maybe you've even done that in this church on a Sunday morning. And maybe you even do that on this Sunday morning. And I just want to pause and say as we, we begin, that, that the church should be a place where the people of, of God can pour out their hearts to God. And they can, they can pray prayers of pain in a, in a welcoming, vulnerable, like this place should be conducive to that. And as one of your pastors, I want to say, I think we do a good job of that sometimes, and I think we also have some room to grow in this. That this church should be a, a, a place where you would be comfortable pouring out your heart to God in your prayer of pain. She's going up to the tabernacle, and we're going to see her interact with Eli, who's kind of like her priest or her pastor. Like, the, this should be the place. If there's anywhere you could pour out your heart to God in, in, in pain, this should be the place that should happen. And so here this morning, we find Hannah's prayer of pain, and it starts in verse 9, where she says, where he says, after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. We're going to learn a few things this morning, a couple things about the prayer of pain. The first thing is that in the prayer of pain, we voice our pain to God. In the prayer of pain, we voice our pain to God. And I want to say that there's generally three reactions when we're pressed into this kind of pain. And many of you sitting here have been through this kind of pain, this specific kind of pain. And when we're in this kind of pain as the people of God, there's typically three reactions. One is that we can try to hide our pain from God. Which, as you think about, is kind of silly because he already knows everything about it. But we can try to hide our pain from God or avoid talking about our pain with God. That's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, we can, we can blame God for our pain. So instead of avoiding it, talking about God, and trying to hide it from him, we actually blame him for the pain that's in our life. But actually the, the response that's in the middle, his measured response is actually voicing our pain to God. And that's exactly what Hannah is doing this morning. She's not hiding her pain from God. She's not trying to run away from it and avoid it. She's not blaming God for her pain. She's voicing her pain to God this morning. And, and the kind of pain she has is deep. It says she is deeply depressed. 
which means literally an inward bitterness that causes you physical distress. Maybe you've had so much pain in your life before that it's affected you physically. And it says that she's crying out, she's weeping. She's crying out to God in prayer. She's shedding tears, many tears. And I want to say this morning, we should never be afraid to voice our pain to God. As God's children, we should never be afraid to voice our pain to God. Because listen to me, even Jesus did this as God's son. Hebrews 5 reminds us, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So what, what's at the heart of her pain? Maybe you get the picture from the context, but what's really at the heart of Hannah's pain? I think at least three things. First, Hannah had someone or something that was coming against her, and she felt attacked, and it was, it was affecting her physically. It was an emotional pain, but it was having physical impact on her body. And maybe you've experienced this kind of pain before where, where there's something or someone that you feel is coming against you and it's so strong that your body actually begins to sort of shut down in some ways and it attacks your body and it causes health conditions and ailments and you don't feel well. This is where Hannah is at. Secondly, Hannah sees someone who's ungodly, the rival wife. She is ungodly, by the way. And she's doing something ungodly. I think she's doing something more than ungodly. I would say she's doing something demonic. She, she, has, she has given herself over to the enemy, and she is doing something ungodly and demonic to the other wife, Hannah. So here's someone ungodly that is experiencing, in Hannah's eyes, a kind of blessing. Well, Hannah is a godly woman, and she's, well, experiencing what people in her day see as a kind of cursing from God. And it feels unjust. And again, maybe you've been in that place where you see ungodly people getting seeming, blessing, seeming blessings and you are saying, Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to live a godly life and, and I feel like I've just got cursings on my life. This is crazy. And it, it's just un, it doesn't make sense. You, like, this feels unjust. It doesn't make sense. And I think thirdly, that, that Hannah had this deep desire. She deeply desired for all of this to change, but it hadn't changed for a long time. And she didn't understand why. And again, maybe you've had something like that in your life where there's something that's coming against you or something that feels unjust or something that feels like, Lord, why is this? What is going on? And it's not changing. And it says year after year this went on for Hannah. So there's this emotional pain that becomes a kind of spiritual pain, not understanding why God has allowed these things. Because oftentimes our deepest pain is connected to our deepest desires not yet being fulfilled. And one of Hannah's deepest desires has not yet been fulfilled here. And often those desires are connected to our families, aren't they? And so for some of you that are here this morning, one of your deepest desires is to be married so that you have an opportunity to create a family. And that hasn't happened yet. And for some of you, you're married and you want to have children. And that's one of your deepest desires. But for all of your trying, like that hasn't happened yet. And for some of you, you've had children and you have young children. And they're in a place where you want them to act and behave a certain way or to see certain truths. And they just haven't seen them yet. Or you have older children who have grown up and, and they've grown up even in the church. And you want them to consider these things. And you want them to profess faith in Jesus, but you haven't seen it yet. 
I want to tell you this week, we know that we saw some professions of faith from our junior high students at Hume Lake. Praise God for those things. Students who have grown up in this church who are making professions of faith now. But, but at that point, before this weekend, you hadn't seen that yet. Maybe some of you have wayward children who have kind of gone away and they're, they're sort of living a prodigal life and you're praying that they'd come back, but they haven't yet, right? Oftentimes these deepest desires are connected to our families and that makes sense. And I want to remind you this morning, God wants you to bring this pain to him. And when I say God wants you to bring this pain to him, I'm saying the entire Godhead is involved in this. God the Father, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, Psalm 6, 8. The Father listens to the sounds of the weeping of his sons and daughters. Like any good father, he wants us to bring our pain to him. And he wants to help us with our pain, or he wants to walk with us until he does help us with our pain in the way that we want him to. And the Son wants this for us. Jesus says, blessed are those who weep now, for they shall laugh. There is a blessing that goes along with people that are in pain and that weep through things in life. And the Holy Spirit wants this for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know the things that we ought to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when I say God wants us to bring our pain to him, I mean it. And God means it, more importantly. The Bible tells us God means it. He wants us to bring our pain to him. Look, all of that said, when, when we're in this kind of pain, and even if we bring our pain to God, we can tend to bring it and make some deals with God. Right? We do that by making vows to God. We'll make a deal with God if he delivers us from our pain. And... I think Hannah does something like this here. And everyone who's experienced this kind of pain knows how easy it can be to do this. And in a sense, how understandable it would be to do something like this. To make a vow to God. To, in a sense, bargain. Probably wrong word, but, but make some kind of agreement with God. We see this in verse 11 where it says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will, that's always part of the vow, right? If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give me your, ser your servant a son, then I will, if you will, then I will, give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And here I think we see the second thing in the prayer of pain is that in the prayer of pain, we may make a vow to God. In the prayer of pain, we may make vows to God. If you, then I will. If you allow me to find a spouse, I promise I will, I will have the model marriage. If you give me a children, then child, then I promise I will every single day do a devotional and point him to the gospel and raise him to follow. If you do this, then I will do this. I'll give him wholeheartedly over to you. If you bring back my wayward son or daughter, I will do this for the sake of the church. And I will give this to this fund to scholarship kids to camp because I'm going to cash out all of this over here. to get. So it's like almost like sometimes money or things are involved. If you do this, then I will do this. And we make a vow to God. And I just want to pause and say, as understandable as that is, understand if you make a vow to God, he will expect you to keep it. We recently studied Ecclesiastes and it says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay 
what you vow. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure we should bargain with God in this way by making vows, but I'm sure about what we should do. And what we should do is we should bring our burdens to God. And we should tell him our heart and our response. And so it might not be a bargaining chip we're using with God and a vow. We're saying, God, God, please do this. And if you do this, my heart is, I want to do this. I think that could be a different kind of thing. I think that is the kind of thing perhaps that Hannah's doing this morning. This is a biblical idea. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We recently studied First and Second Peter together, didn't we? And Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He wants to know our pain. Bargaining with God is not the best response in pain, but there are some worse responses, I would say. And we see a hint of this even in this story or an allusion to it in verses 12 to 14 where it says, and she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. You might, you might see someone doing this in worship as we sing later on, and everyone's singing, but you see someone else mouthing something, and it's not the words. They're praying under their breath, right? This is what Hannah is doing. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And I just want to say for a moment here, there are a lot of other ways that we can respond to the burdens that we have when we have this kind of pain and the reason why Eli, as the pastor, thinks that she's drunk coming to church is that, well, apparently that's happened before. And there had been women that were in that much pain that they came even to church under the influence of something that would mask their pain. And this is something that all kinds of people do when they're in this kind of pain. They run to wine and they run to other forms of alcohol and drugs and, and shopping and hobbies and all kinds of things to try to mask the pain, and just want to pause and just say, you know, is there any way that, that any of us might be masking our pain? You know, we're in this kind of pain, but we're, we're going to other places that are really unhealthy. And if you are, tonight might be a good day to, to put an end to that and to talk to someone about it. There are a lot of other ways that people respond to the weight of their burdens when they are in this kind of pain, but, but responding by running to the Lord is the only right response. And this is Hannah's response. It's the only right response. is just to run to the Lord with our pain. And this is what Hannah does. And we see this in verse 15 where it says, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've, I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, not come and drunk to church, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my deep anxiety and vexation. And so Eli sees more clearly what's going on with Hannah and from his experience, seeing God at work in the lives of women who approach God this way, Eli says in verse 17, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made of him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Eli, her pastor, basically says, <clears throat> I'm praying that God will answer your prayer. I'm praying that God will answer your prayer. And until he does, go live by faith. Go walk in faith. Go carry out your spiritual disciplines. Go read your Bible. Go pray. 
Go fast. Go enjoy fellowship with God's people. Go serve. Go worship. Go in faith and peace until he does. And so Hannah does what any godly woman would do. We see this in verses 18 and 19 where it says, And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And they went back to their house at Ramah. She went back to her normal business. They worshipped the Lord there as they would normally do. And then she went back home to live by faith, to read her Bible, to pray, to fast, to feast, to celebrate, to serve, to walk by faith and to live at peace with God and his people. And what happened when she did? Verse 19. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time... Hannah conceived and bore a son. <laughs> and she called his name Samuel. First she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. God hears our prayers of pain. And I'm telling you this morning, the reason we should bring our prayers of pain to, to God is because he hears them. He hears our prayers of pain and he answers our prayers of pain. And by his grace, he turns them into prayers of praise. And that's where we are now in chapter 2. We're at Hannah's prayer of praise. God has turned her prayer of pain into a prayer of praise. And in verses 1 and 2, it says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. We're going to learn three things about the prayer of praise this morning. And the first is that in the prayer of praise, we praise him because he is able. In the prayer of praise, we praise him because he is able. Remember, the pain point was there was someone or something that was coming against Hannah. And she felt attacked. And it was affecting her physically. And she brought that pain to God and God answered her prayer. And so her point of praise is that in his strength, God has protected her from the emotional attack that was coming against her, which at the end of the day, I believe is a spiritual attack. I think it's all spiritual. I just want to step aside for a moment and say, I see this in the lives of the women in our culture and in the lives of the women in our church. There are things that are coming against women today. And I don't want to go on a long rant. I'll just take a couple of seconds because this is not like the main point of the sermon. But I would say like, Abortion comes against women because it destroys women, it destroys their bodies, and half of all the abortions are, are women. We're killing women. Today we're trying to make boys girls and girls boys, and this whole thing is, is, is basically, at the end of the day, the logical end of it is that we erase, we erase women. This is stuff that's coming against women, and in our culture, and just even in our world, our world is so affected and impacted by sin that the things are going on even in the environment, the things that women are, are putting on their bodies, that are eating, it's all affecting women. The, the, the rates of infertility are going through the roof. I talked to a holistic medicine doctor over the last year who's, who's told me that there are more women than, than ever coming into his office and asking for help. Our environment is pressing. There are so many things that are attacking and coming against women today. Hannah calls out to God about this thing that's coming against her, and God hears her prayer, and God heals her. He, hears, he heals her physically. He is able. In the prayer of pain, we call out to God on these things. In the prayer of praise, 
we bring our praise to God because he shows us that he is able to overcome these things. He says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. This is an, an image in the ancient world of, of, of a bull's horns and a bull's horns using when, when a bull battles another bull and wins. This is the idea is my horn is raised. The horns are used to protect. And he's saying, I've won the battle. And you can imagine a bull standing over another one when they've won the battle. The Lord is standing over his enemies. And Hannah sees it. And God has delivered her and protected her. He also calls God a rock. There's no rock like our God. It's an image of a rock that in the ancient world is too large to move. If you look at structures in the ancient world, you're like, how do they move those rocks, right? To build things. That's not the rock they're talking about. They're talking about rocks that are much bigger than that, that they know no one could ever move. And it's a place of protection that someone would stand. You can't get me up here. Are you bringing your pain to the Lord and do you believe he's able you believe he's able to turn your prayer of pain into a prayer of praise by protecting you. There's a second way that the Lord turned Hannah's prayer of pain into a prayer of praise. We see it in verses 3 to 5 where it says, Talk no more very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have tired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased from hunger. The barren has borne seven. We know that Hannah hasn't borne seven, but this is a perfect number of completeness. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Second thing we learn is that in the prayer of praise, we praise him because he is just. We praise him because he is able, but we also praise him because he is just. And by him actions are weighed. And you might remember that the second pain point for Hannah was that, was that someone ungodly was experiencing a kind of perceived blessing. And she, though not a perfect person, a godly woman, was experiencing a perceived kind of cursing. And she felt like, this is unjust. God, what is going on? And Hannah brought this prayer of pain to God and cried out to God. And now she has a point of praise that in his justice, God saw the injustice that was being done against her. And in his goodness... God protected her from it. But the feeble bind on strength, and he provided for her in it. The barren has borne seven. As a pastor over the years, this is one of the, this is one of the points of pain that I got to tell you I've heard all of the time. Why, what is going on? This just seems so unjust and unfair. And over the years, I personally have gone back to Psalm 73 so many times, and maybe you have. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, I mean, it's acknowledging God's, God's goodness, right, to people and to his people. But as for me, my circumstance, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Oftentimes we look out and we say, Lord, I know you're good and I see your goodness at large. But for, for me, my feet are slipping, Lord. Because I'm looking at the prosperity of the wicked and I'm going, what's going on? Because I'm not that. Verses 16 to 17. But when I thought how to understand this, maybe you thought that. It seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Until I went to church. <laughs> Until I went to the sanctuary of God, until I got in alone with God, or until I got with God in the presence of his people, and I heard the preaching of God's word, and I saw the worship of his people, and I understood the things from scripture, and I realized, oh yeah, the, the, the end is good for me. 
And they could have all this blessing, seemingly blessing in this life, and then they'll have nothing in the life to come. And I may seem to have some kind of cursing, or there may be something that I want in this life that I don't have, but in the life to come, I have everything because I'm in Christ. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And so if you're looking at things that feel unjust today, I'd say, maybe when you go home today or sometime this week, open up Psalm 73. Are you bringing your pain to God, your prayer of pain to God? As you do, do you believe that he's just? And that he can turn your prayer of pain into a prayer of praise by doing justly before you? There's one final way the Lord turned Hannah's prayer of pain into a prayer of praise, and we see it in verses 6 to 8, where it says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world's. I think the third and final thing we learn about the prayer of praise is in the prayer of praise, we praise him because he is in control. We praise him because he's in control. He is able and he is just and he is in control. All of this is in his control. If you remember the, the, pray, the third pain point of Hannah was that she deeply desired all of this to change and it had gone on year after year for a long time and she didn't understand why is this taking so long and there was a spiritual pain that came along with this and so Hannah brought her prayer of pain to God. And in God's time, God answered her prayer. And her praise point is now that in his sovereignty, God has heard her prayer. And God has changed her circumstances. And God has done it in his time. We read, in due time, Hannah conceived. Listen, I just want to say, in my experience... It's not so much that we doubt that God is good. We doubt that his timing is good. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I'm like, I don't doubt that God is good. <laughs> he has proven that to me over and over and over and over again. I, 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 I have to confess, I'm not sure I doubt his goodness that often. But sometimes, for whatever reason, I doubt the goodness of his timing. I'm like, God, you just don't have good timing. And why, why would I continue to do that? And... Maybe for some of you, you can understand that. Maybe you've been in that place where you're like, yeah, I believe he's good. I just, I still doubt his timing sometimes. Are you bringing your pain to the Lord? Do you believe he's in control? Do you believe his timing is good? And that he will turn your prayer of pain into a prayer of praise in his time. So we're going to look at the prayers of the Bible. We're going to look at some amazing prayers. And these are amazing prayers from Hannah. It almost seems like this is like a professional prayer, right? Like when you, when you know some people pray well, you're like, I expect a good prayer from this person that's about to pray. And like, this, these are good prayers. Like she, you might look, wow, this is a powerful prayer. And I would say it is. And at the end of the day, it's a normal prayer. Like Hannah is just pouring her heart out to God like any of us would. And then she does at the end what I think many of us do. When you pray, sometimes do you, do you like, you have a logical flow of thought. Like you're praying about this idea and then this idea and then this idea. We see that happening here with Hannah. She's praying over the idea that God is able and that he's just and that he's in control. 
And then what sometimes we do at the end of our prayer, we go back and we remind God of our three points. Remember, God, I just prayed that you're able and that you're just and you're in control. So in case you missed it, I just want you to remember this is what I'm praying, right? I don't know if you do this, but, but next time you pray, think about it. You probably do, okay? We see this in verses 9 to 10 where she says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Lord, you are just. Remember, I just told you that, and I'm telling you it again. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. He is able. Lord, I know I just told you you're able, and I praise you for that, but I'm just going to say it again. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Lord, I know I've just said you're in control, and I'm just going to say it again. You are able, you are just, and you're in control. And so I'm just going to remind you of the things that I just prayed for in case you forgot, but here they are again, okay? I think we all tend to do something like this. But Hannah's prayer is pretty amazing in that at the end, I think it gives us an allusion to the truth and the reality of the gospel. At the end of the prayer in verses 9 to 10, it says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. See, if you're not yet a Christian this morning, I want to tell you that um, it's not that people have come against us, and they have. We all have enemies. But it's not that people have come against us. It's that we have come against God. If you're a Christian and you're looking at this story, you want to identify with Hannah, and in many ways you do. But I just want to tell you that all of us, all human beings, like humanity is not Hannah. It's, it's Penina it's, or Penaniah. It's, it's, it's the other wife. It's, it's the competitor. It's the attacker. See, it's not, it's not just that the people are coming against us. It's that we have come against God. And again, if you're not yet a Christian, this is what Christians believe, that we have come against God by sinning against God. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, called, called this the, the dethroning of God or the de-godding of God, that we decide we want to be the God of our own lives. And so we sin against him and we attack him. We come against him. We blame him. We rebel against him. And the Bible calls this sin. And it's not just that others deserve justice for this, but we deserve justice for this. And again, if you're not yet a Christian, this is, this is what the Bible teaches, that because we have sinned against God, because we have dethroned him and de-godded him, because we've acted this way toward him, disobeyed and disregarded him, that we deserve a just punishment for that and from a just God. That it's not that others have done injustice to us, though they have. The bigger idea is that we have been, well, we've been sinful toward God and we deserve his justice. But the good news of the gospel, and again, if you're not yet a Christian, the good news of the gospel is that in his perfect time, God brought a solution for that. You don't want the justice of God in your life, and you know it. I don't want the justice of God in my life. You don't want the justice of God on your life, and you know it. And God knows it. And so God, in his perfect timing, he brought a solution for that justice. The justice that we deserved. When God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God wasn't content to leave us in that place of his just justice going to needing to be poured out on us, but, but he gave us Jesus. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus lived a life we could never live, a life perfect toward God, a, a perfectly sinless life toward God, which meant he needed no justice of God. He lived a perfectly sinless life on our behalf, the life we could never live. 
We believe that he died the death that we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. As Christians, we believe that Jesus went to the cross so that God could pour out all of his justice on Jesus for our sin instead of us. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what makes it good. That Jesus has done for something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, and Jesus made a sacrifice for us that was ours to make so that we don't have to make it. And that through Jesus, God has protected us from the consequences of sin. That when we place our faith and our hope and trust in Jesus, we're forgiven of our sin and we're free to live the life that God always had for us. A life of fellowship with God and a vulnerability toward God and openness toward God. Because we don't, we're not hampered by our sin any longer. I think that's the good news this morning. And if you're new with us, we always want to leave you with good news. We believe Jesus is only and he's altogether good. So then the good news in the prayers of Hannah this morning is something like this, that Jesus endured the greatest pain so that we never have to. And through it brought the greatest reason for praise. We always have a reason for praise because Jesus has dealt with our, with our deepest, our darkest pain, the pain of sin and being separated from God. And Village Church, I hope that's really good news for you today. We're going to spend a couple of minutes praying. And um, last week I told you we would spend three minutes, and it was like 45 seconds or something like that. I was a little off. It probably seemed like three minutes to you. But I want to ask you to bow your heads and bow your hearts with me for just what I'm going to say is three minutes, but will probably end up being one. So just be patient with me. But would you please bow your head, bow your hearts with me. I want to end our time by praying this morning together. It would... It would feel very odd to preach so much on prayer and not pray. So as your head and your hearts are bowed, here's what I want to ask you to do in this moment. If you came this morning and you are in a place where you're in a season, we're in prayers, you're, you're only praying, mostly praying prayers of pain right now. Again, head, heart bowed, I want you to hear these things. I want to ask you to pray for another partner in our church that you know is in a season of praise. It just seems like everything is going well for them. And I want you to enter into their praise this morning, please. And if it's not a partner in our church, it's someone in your life who's a Christian. I want to ask you to enter into their praise this morning. And if you're in a season where you're in a prayer of praise and things are going for the most part well and you're praising and thanking God for many things in this season and you're not praying that many prayers of pain, I want to ask you to think about a partner in our church or a person in your life who is a Christian and I want to ask you in this moment to pray the other way for them, to pray and enter into their pain. And call out and cry out to God on their behalf as we learned last week in the prayer of intercession to get God's heart for them and to pray a prayer of pain for them. I want you to pray the other way this morning. And the Bible tells us to do this. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn or weep with those who weep or mourn. And so if you're largely rejoicing this morning for the next 30 seconds, please think about a partner who you know is on the other side and pray toward that end. If you're rejoicing, enter in that prayer of pain. If you're in pain, enter into that prayer of rejoicing. My hope is it will help us to see one another well this morning. It'll knit our hearts together. Just 
just in the quietness of this next 30 seconds, would you do that?